Here we go. Pastor Fred unleashed. Oh boy. Turn to Psalms 144 with me, if you would, please. We'll get there in just a moment. An atheist professor decided to get up one day in class, and he said he was going to prove that there was no God. So he said, God, if you are real, I want you to knock me off this platform. I'll give you 15 minutes. Ten minutes went by. He kept taunting God, saying, here I am, God. I'm still waiting. He got down to the last couple of minutes, and a uh, rather large 300-pound football player was walking by. And he heard what the professor was saying. So he walked into the classroom at the very last minute. He walked up, and he just absolutely decked the professor, just knocked him flying off the platform. The professor shook himself and got up and said, well, where did you come from and why did you do that? To which the football player simply said, God was busy, so he sent me. <laughs> I do not recommend messing with God. Don't mess, just don't mess. Psalms 144. I've entitled this message, Freedom is War. And uh, as I thought about all the wars that have taken place on this planet and the Revolutionary War that brought about our freedom here in America and uh, all the lives that have been sacrificed over the many years that have gone by, I, the Lord just, for whatever reason, laid on my heart, I want you to talk about war. I'm like, okay, that's pretty pleasant. Uh, Let's try that. And he took me to Psalms 144, and here's what it says in the first couple of verses. Praise be to the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my loving God and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. Father, bless this word. Bless our time together, and we thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Now, there are some very interesting portions to this scripture. It tells us that God trains our hands for war and our fingers for battle. Do you realize how important your hands are to life? If I tied your hand, you know, have you ever thought why they tie a prisoner's hands behind their back? when they take them into custody, because it, it basically enables them to do much of anything. And we use our hands for so many different things. We, we care for people, we help them, we can hurt them, we can abuse them, we can kill them, we can bring them back to life, use our hands to do CPR, doctors, surgeons, their hands. My brother is a surgeon. A, uh, actually thoracic, so he does a lot of heart surgery. His hands have been insured for over a million dollars. Kind of hoping that I'm in there somewhere, but I don't, I'm not sure. But his hands are so valuable to him because they are what allows him to function as a surgeon without the, yeah, trust me, walking into the operating room and him putting gloves on his feet so that he can do surgery would scare the bejeebies out. That'd be, there's no way. 
And we reach our hands out to greet one another and we you know, pat each other on the back and we use them to hug one another and so on. But the Bible says that God trains our hands for war and what do we do with our hands when it comes to war? The war that we fight is not a, is not a war against flesh and blood. We'll read that in a minute. But it's, it's, it's about praying. It's about understanding. It's about why do we lift our hands in worship? Why do we clap our hands? There's a tradition in the Jewish, uh, in, within the Jewish faith. I hope this is correct, George. Uh, but it says that they, used to, they would clap their hands together as a symbol of them destroying their enemy. That the enemy would be between their hands and they would begin to clap. And as a result, it would, be, it would say, we are going to destroy this enemy. We're going to destroy the enemy. Why do you think football teams and other teams, before they go out there, they start, they start clapping and chanting? And what, it, what does that do? It pumps the people up. It pumps them up and gets them ready to enter into a war or battle situation. So the next time you get frustrated with something, instead of beating your children, just clap for them. That'll mess with their minds. I'm pretending you're between my hands. That might not be so good, but... But our hands, they're such valuable instruments. But as I thought about this, I began to ask myself, now what is it, what are the key elements in becoming a real soldier, a warrior, a soldier for Christ in this world? How many of you realize that there's a war going on in this world? In the spiritual realm, there is an insane war going on. Satan is not happy. And God is not happy. First thing, James, chapter 1, verse 5. These should all be on the board, so you won't need to spend a lot of time looking. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Wisdom, I need to be wise. We have to have the wisdom of God. It's one of those promises that God says he gives without any any limitation. You will never come to the point in your life where you will pray, God, hold off. I have reached the limit of wisdom. I'm there. No more wisdom. I can't take anymore. That'll never happen. You'll never be able to pray, God, I've had enough grace. I'm good. I'm just overwhelmed. I can't take any more grace. You know, we don't pray, God, I'm healthy enough. I just can't handle any more health. No more. We don't pray those things. But we seek, we need to ask and ask for wisdom so that the knowledge that we have, the knowledge that we gain, in particular the Word of God, so that we know what to do with it, so that we know how to handle it. A soldier that has become wise in his abilities to, to handle his weapons and to handle his, the commands and the people he works with and so on, and it's all part of that process of becoming wise, intelligent, well, underst well understanding or understanding well the Word of God. Secondly, the second W for this is willing. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. A soldier must become willing. Absolutely, totally willing. Now I, thank the Lord, have never gone through boot camp. I really didn't need to. I had a German mother. It's kind of unnecessary. But I have met guys that have gone through boot camp. And I believe that what goes on in boot camp 
is the process of making that individual willing to die for their country. They are trained. They're trained to kill, obviously, the enemy. But they are trained to answer the call, to accept any assignment. And my buddy George is here. George, stand up. Good friend of mine, George. I appreciate him being here. George is an ex-Marine, so God bless America and God bless George. But George had to be made willing to serve his country. And when you enter into the Christian faith, you have to become willing to do anything and everything that God may ask you to do. Now, how many of you understand? How many of you ever have had, you've had the Spirit kind of nudge you and say, you know, I want you to do this, and you said, nope. Nope. Love to help you, God, but that ain't going to happen. Can't do that. Not going to do it. You have broken a cardinal rule of the Christian soldier. There's no quest. There's no negotiating. You ever tried to negotiate with God? I've tried that once. Didn't work so well. He doesn't negotiate. The will of God is established. And when Christ prayed in the garden, he said, God, if there's some other way we can do this, let's do it. However, not my will, yours be done. You are going to discover in your lifetime as a Christian that there are going to be situations that will be uncomfortable. You won't like it. You won't want to do it. But you must be willing to do it anyway. Because God has a bigger plan than you understand. Than you'll ever understand. You may have no idea, you know, why do I need to do this, God? It doesn't matter. Just do it. Go and speak to that person. How many of you have ever had those random situations where you've, where you've walked in or talked, ended up talking to someone and communicated with someone and all of a sudden, the next thing you know, you're discussing God and, and Christianity? A random situation that God directed because you were willing because you didn't shut down and you didn't back up. You didn't say, well, let's not go. I don't discuss politics or religion. Well, as a Christian, I discuss everything. No limits. Willingness is the most powerful attitude that you can have, that you can carry with you. Some of you probably got up this morning, man, I, what a gorgeous day. I know I could get a tea time somewhere. Amen. What? And if God would have said, yes, you may go. Woohoo! But there's no way he was going to say that. He said, you get to get up really early and go to church and help make breakfast. What? And God bless my precious wife. Is she in here yet or is she still cleaning? Oh. She had to be willing to get up early as well. We have that arrangement. You know, where I go, she has to go. <laughs> Sometimes. Willing. What are you willing to do? What is your limitation? That's the problem, see? What is it, what is, where is that cutoff line where you say, I'm willing to do this, but I'm not doing that? You cannot have that discussion with, with God. Because Christ was willing to die for you, and that's the ultimate sacrifice. So un unless you go beyond that, there are no limits. 
There are no limits to what you can give, to where you should go, to who you need to talk to. There are no limits to the man and woman that's willing to be a soldier for Christ. The letter A, armed. Ephesians. This great passage of Scripture where Paul talks about armor. The first A is the the word armed. Look at this, verse 10 of Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And that will take care of your armor. Now let's look at that for a minute. The armor. It begins with the belt of truth. Now, how many of you understand that truth has been twisted ever so slightly in our culture and in our world? Not ever so slightly, it's been absolutely destroyed. But the Word of God, I stand on this, the Word of God is truth. This is where truth is found. And Paul starts with this. He says you start off with the belt of truth. Before you ever get saved, you have to come to grips with truth. You have to accept the fact that what is in this book, in this, the Word of God, is truth. This does not contain truth. This is truth. Absolutely, positively, completely truth. There are no lies in this Bible. It's all truth. Once I come to grips with that, now I can begin to move forward. This is truth. Then he says you put on the breastplate of righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is the the ability to handle truth. It is righteous acts. Once I know the truth, I act differently. Correct? Once I understand the truth of God's word... I repent of my former ideologies and theologies and and all my other ologies, and I I begin to take on the righteous nature of a person. I begin to do right things. The first right thing that happens to a person when they come face-to-face with the truth is they repent. They change. They turn from their wicked ways. So that's the first righteous act that they do. And then they respond to the gospel, the gospel of peace, which is, I love this, because peace is such an amazing thing. What happens to a person when they accept Christ? They come to grips with peace. They find peace. How many of you are more messed up today than you were before you got saved? Hopefully nobody. I mean, I'm borderline, but no, nobody. You you find peace through Christ. Now, how many of you are are drawn to people that seem to be at peace? 
You know, I just, you know, if they're just relaxed and, and peaceful, I want to be around that person. You know, they're, they're in the middle of a crisis, and, and they're just, you know, I'm, just, I'm trusting the Lord. God has just given me some real peace about this, and I just know it's going to be fine. As opposed to other people that are, they get bad news, and what do they do? What am I going to do? I don't want to run to that person because it may jump on me. I could get infected. You know, it's like, you know what? When you settle down, you let me know. No, we are drawn to, the pe- drawn to people that are peace. I believe Christ went around in peace just everywhere he went. People sensed that peace, that sense of control, that sense of security and strength. And then Paul says, you put on the helmet of salvation. You begin to think like a saved person. How do saved people think? They believe this is the truth. They act on the truth. They walk in peace. The whole wor- their whole life could be in turmoil, yet they are walking in peace. As an example to the world. And then when the enemy comes in, and he will, what do they hold up? You know, they don't hold up Pastor Darrell's phone number in hopes that he'll call him. No, he says the shield of faith. You begin to hold up the faith that has now become solid in your life because you moved from truth to righteousness to peace, the helmet of salvation, and now faith has become a major part of your life. And you are able to hold that up in the face of the enemy. And you function now with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, what is it? What did Jesus do when the enemy came to him, when Satan came to him and tempted him? What did Jesus do? What did he say? He declared Scripture. He didn't say, Dad, help me, Dad. It's the devil. Help, 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 help. No, his response was simply, hey, Man does not live by bread alone. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. You will worship the Lord and Him only will you serve. you have any other questions or are we good? The enemy didn't know what to do with that and had to leave. Now when the enemy comes, into your, comes towards you and attacks you with stuff, do not negotiate with the enemy. Why would you do that? Oh, Satan, look, that, that temptation, that's a big one. I, you know that I'm not good with that. Just, you know, let's, let's, talk some, let's talk a little bit, something a little easier here. You know what, I, you know, I'm not a big drinker. How about just maybe tempta- tempting me with, you know, alcohol? Because, you know, that I can probably get, a, get over and take care of. But this other stuff, that's just too big, I, you know. Let's work this out. You know, I, I'll give you a little, you give me a little. No. No, we need to be armed. And the second thing, the second A is anointing. Anointing. Uh, this is a great passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us set his seal of ownership on us, put his spirit in us as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Wow. 
Wow! That's great! That's amazing! Anointed us! You know what anointing means? Some people think, oh, that person must be anointed. Yeah, they're, like, yeah, they're going to start floating any minute. No. Anointing is nothing more than the Spirit of God coming into your life and giving you the courage to live righteously and to act on truth. Anointing is courage. David was anointed to do what? Go out and fight Goliath. That was the anointing of God. He was anointed. He was courageous and ready to move forward. Joseph was anointed of God to live through all that junk that he lived through. Paul came under the anointing of God. After he was, finally, after he was ultimately saved, he was anointed to function the way he functioned. What was it when Paul and Silas were in prison? What causes you to start singing hymns when you've just been beaten and you're stuck in this black hole? What, it, what causes you to go, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God? What on earth would cause you to do that? The anointing. The anointing. And you know what happens when God sees someone act in that anointing? God goes, whoa, I'm going to go get in the middle of that. And he shook that prison, and the cells just opened up. It was amazing. Goliath died. Joseph was elevated to second in command in Egypt. Why? Because of that anointing. Because of the courage to live their lives knowing the truth and being in, living in a righteous way and exercising faith. And, and having the gospel of peace, and wearing the helmet of salvation. You see, I learned something a long time ago when I was a little kid. When I put on a football helmet, I feel totally safe, and I'll go run at anything. Not the smartest thing in the world, but there was a sense, when I put that helmet on, it was like, whoa, this is amazing. My head's protected. I could just bust through walls. I could hurt anybody. And I did. I just took off after this kid, and decked him, and it was not a pretty sight, and he was crying and made me give him his helmet back, and yeah, it just wasn't pretty. But there was a sense of courage when I put on that armor. There was a sense of strength. And that's what God wants us to understand. That's what he wants us to function in. God deliver us from being Christians and just kind of, you know, yeah, I'm a Christian. Hope nobody heard that. No. You're armed. You're anointed. You're wise. You're willing. The next one is you, were, you become a resistor. James says, submit yourselves unto God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I want you to understand something here. Who is the, who's our really actual only enemy? Who's the only enemy that we really have? Satan, right? So what does that make all the other people in the world? What? Pri thank you. Exactly. Prisoners. You see, Satan is the only real enemy. 
Every, all the other human beings, whether they're ISIS or whether they're, you know, whatever they, whatever, pick something, you know. Whatever they are, they are not enemy. They are human beings that are being held captive by a horrible, horrible jailer named Satan. And our function is to do as Jesus did. The, the very last point is simply that. You, we resist the enemy and we become rescuers of the people that are prisoners of war. There's no greater excitement in life than opening up a, to be able to open up a prison cell and say, hey, you're free to go. I'm here to help you go free. And there's, you know, it's just, you're free. God will show you the way. You're free here. This is the way out. This is, the, what, this is what opens the door. To set them free. Now, how do we resist the devil? We learn to say no. If you were going to resist the devil, how would you say no? That was powerful. You get... You're getting bit nine nine nine, yeah. If you're in that country, yes. If I was gonna, if I had somebody coming at me, and I felt like you know, I knew that I was stronger than they are, more armed than they are. I would simply say, no, no. Kind of like you know when you're talking to your kids, no. All right, let's try that. Let's, let's, now you try it. Get that yell out of you. One, two, three, ready? No! That's better. That's better. That's better. Have you ever tried that? You, just, you know the enemy is just hammering you, and he's just giving you all this business, and you know you're in the middle of a temptation. And I, I give you permission to just, at the top of your lungs, yell, No! Now, hopefully you're not in the grocery store about to reach for that chocolate. <laughs> and all of a sudden you're going, no! And everybody's, call security. We've got security in aisle four. We need security in aisle four. But this is how real this is. You know, we're not, this isn't pretend. This is pretend Christianity. What are we doing here? I'd be on hole eight or nine by now. Those of you who are not sure what that means, I'd be playing golf, and I'd, you know, never mind. All right. But resist. It, the, he tells us right there, submit to God, okay. Resist the devil, and what? He might flee from you. He will. He has to. Because you have living inside of you the very spirit that raised Christ from the dead. When you've accepted Jesus Christ, that spirit is alive in you. And the devil will not be able to deal with that. Why do you think Jesus was able to do what he did? Well, that, Pastor Fred, that's Jesus. I'm not Jesus. Wait a minute. The Bible tells me the same spirit that raised him from the dead is alive and living in you. He told his disciples, all I have all authority. You, now you go and make disciples. What was that? That was a transfer of power, a transfer of authority. 
Do I live in the midst of this all the time? Uh, nope. None of us do. That's why it's called war. That's why it's a battle. Let God teach your fingers and hands how to war. You begin by opening your Bible. Use your, use your hands to start flipping pages. And then as I've been reminded by Gary several times, memorize this. If this becomes, if this goes into your head and sets up resonance, every time an issue comes up, the Word of God will come out, will flow out of you and shut down the enemy's attacks. And it will give you this amazing compassion for people that you may not like. And you'll begin to realize they're prisoners of war. I need to help them understand that there's a way to get out. I know the way out. Somebody's helped me get set free, and I need to help them. And one of the greatest things that ever happened in our lives was when Christ, not in our lives, but in, in our past, was when Christ went to the cross. I'm closed with a little, just a quick little story about a soldier, and then we're going to go to communion. So those that will be helping with communion, if you could prepare yourselves. There was a young man that was fighting in the Pacific. He was on a, one of the islands. He had gotten separated from his uh, squad, and uh, he was... If he didn't find them, he was sure going to be captured by the Japanese and would be sent to a prison camp or killed or whatever. And he found a cave, and he climbed into that cave, and he got as far back into it as possible. He could still see the, the opening. And he began to pray. He said, God, save my life. God, just please save my life. As he was praying and watching and listening, trying to hear where the enemy might be, he noticed this big spider ran a strand of web across that cave opening. And then another strand, and another one, and another one. And as he sat there, he watched his spider create this amazing web, this huge web over the door of that cave. And the young soldier, I'm sure, thought, God, I prayed to be saved, not watch a spider. And then something amazing happened. A Japanese uh, patrol walked by, looked at the door of the cave, noticed the spider web, and realized there's no way anybody got, went into that cave because the spider web is brand new. And they moved on. It wasn't too long before his buddies finally found him, and he came out of the cave. Obviously, he had to destroy the spider web to get out. But God used that little spider to save that, little, that soldier's life. Moral of the story is stop killing spiders. No, that's not true. <laughs> the moral of the story is that God has very creative ways to save you from the enemy, in, in our case, the devil. He can do it. It started at the cross. And now we're going to celebrate communion together.